I'll leave you with this with Dustin Chafin. Thank you for listening. I'll leave you with this. Please subscribe to our Patreon page. You can uh, hear all kinds of extras with uh, T.J. Miller on the road and hell gig stories and behind the scenes of a comedy club in Manhattan. So please support that. I could really use your support. So if you like this podcast, please uh, sign up for Patreon page. It's only like two bucks, and you can really kind of uh, get some extra stuff that I want to try to add. It's even getting better and better each week. So please support us, and uh, I'll give back, I promise. I think groupies in general are weird with, you know, probably, I don't know, it's, with comedians, it's definitely, you know, kind of an odd thing compared to, like, musicians. Yeah. You know, I think musicians always seem to, you know, get the good groupies. Yes. Where, right. And I feel like when comedians and authors, authors, I don't know, it's like a, that's a, that's a different kind of yeah. thing altogether, you know what I mean? I'm, and I'm an author about a comedian, so I probably don't get, <laughs> I get the mothers or the grandmothers of the groupies. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's going to be interesting. But I guess if you're, if you're an author comedian, you're pretty cool, though. That's a pretty cool chick, you know what I mean? Because there's probably like three of them that are out there. So if you're, if you're getting one of those girls, that's pretty high quality, I think. I'll look for someone dressed in all black. You know, yeah, the exactly, the whole thing. But, uh, yeah, it's like, I don't know. Um, last night was really cool. It was uh, – I unfortunately got there late because I had a spot or whatever. But it was so cool to walk in. And when I was – when I walked in, I was late and uh, – Colin Quinn was on stage and uh you know he's just Colin Quinn like there's no really no other way to explain (laughs) looking at his phone and the thing and you know and it's like it's it instantly when I walked in we all kind of you know you could feel the love you know of Greg and everybody that was touched by him and so it was just like it was just fun to see some of those guys and you know, and then and then after that, you know, David Tell is always, you know, just David Tell. And he was and it was great about him is that he really wasn't trying to be funny at all. Like he right. was just like heartfelt and yeah. you know, it was uh yeah, it was great that you guys put that event on, you know. So cool. Yeah, no, we're we're pretty super pleased with the way it worked out and yeah, for um surprisingly in a way, you know, Tell and and uh, and uh, Colin showed up and they were super cool. As you know, uh, yeah. you know, Colin just went through a couple of Greg's jokes. Oh, is that what he did? Because yeah. I walked in, I, he was looking at his phone. I was like, what are you doing? Like, I yeah. <laughs> have text messages? I don't know what he's doing. Yeah. So it was good because, there. I mean, although the audience, I think the folks there knew a lot about uh, Greg, yeah. uh, they might not have remembered some of the specific jokes. He got some good laughs. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. He was, yeah, he, he was definitely just like, his. that's what I feel is missing a lot with stand-up comedy. I feel a lot of comedians go on stage and it's a lot of like, hey, I was hanging with Kanye. It's about being famous. It's a story. It's a, you know, and a lot of it is interesting, but Greg was definitely uh, a master of writing a joke. Like he could, you know, like it was a new version of the setup and the punch and misdirect and all that. It was like, just could listen to him for hours, tell jokes like he was, and he would always, you know, tap into what was happening. His, you know, just political commentary was hilarious. He had that, plus also the, he didn't go the other way, which is, uh, you know, some stand-ups do joke, laugh, joke, laugh, joke, laugh. Yeah. It never felt like that. Greg felt like he was talking on stage. Yeah, it was loose. But there was a density about it. It wasn't long stories with one joke in five minutes kind of thing. No, it was perfect. His uh, Good Day to Cross the River is probably, I think, one of the top five albums of all time. Agreed. Like, it's it's perfect. And I think David Tell's album is up there with it, but it's like these guys that tell these jokes, you know, that are just, that. that's just, it's flawless. It yeah. flows all the way through. It's such a good album. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, no, it's just, you know, it's just it's one thing that was kind of hard to watch was, uh, 
you know, Sherard was always hilarious, Sherard Small, and he was, you know, working the crowd over there. And then it's like he had, to, he had the kids stand up, and it's like when those three sons stand up, that's when it gets a little heartbreaking. Right. You know, you're just like, damn it, Greg. You know, then a little bit of the anger starts to happen, and you're just like, ah, you know. And I don't know if you know this about me, but, uh, you know, Greg was my sponsor. And <laughs> oh, you're, you're like yeah, yeah, he got me sober. I've been a sober, wow. and it's such a you know, weird element of the whole thing because of, you know, what happened to him. But it's like, yeah, he got me. He, we um, we used to party together. And then um, we – I was in an AA meeting and I saw him and I was just terrified of the whole thing. And he was somebody I'd recognize. I was kind of a younger comic than him. And uh, he's more of a veteran guy. And I remember seeing him in the meeting and he was just like, you know, really embraced me and said, I'll just, you know, I'll look out for you and called me. And really, I've been sober 11 years and – Greg was a big part of that, and people like to kind of go at Greg being this guy that was addicted and things, and, you know, he, but he always, you know, looked out for me and cared and wanted me to get sober, and so it's like a, it's just, it's a weird feeling to have, you know, I tell people, they're like, what, you know, like, it's not something that, you know, feels normal, but it was like, but if you know Greg, it is. Because he, you know, that was the thing. He was probably the not only the most talented person I've ever met, probably one of the kindest people I've ever met in my life. You know, we hear that all the time. And actually, if you're, if I'm yeah. doing the math right, if you're sober for 11 years, that would be about 2008, something like that. Yeah. So that means the last two years when Greg was actually, you know, pretty yeah. engulfed in drugs and drinking. Yeah. Uh, he was. Yeah. Well, he had a he was dry for a little while, yeah. and then it was kind of a back and forth, which we all do in the beginning, you know. But, uh, but yeah, you know, and it's, yeah, it's rough, you know, to even think about that. But, but I think it's, you know, what's interesting is, uh, you know, it, it, I feel like a lot of the artists' stories are similar, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm reading through the book and stuff and I, I felt like what's, what's interesting about Greg's story is, uh, you know, it's the beginning parts of it are so interesting where it's just like, when you think that, you know, someone's making, you know, you're going to go down this path. Like, it's just automatic. Like, nobody questions that path. Like, there's certain paths that you you get in life, and you're just saying, okay, well, that's it. Like, there's no question, you know. <laughs> Harvard Law, you know, all those. And it's just like, and it's just, it's almost hilarious that he went against something that, like, you know, it's, it's almost confusing to people. You know, probably from lay people looking in and seeing why would somebody choose telling dick jokes and like a chuckle hut in like Minnesota or what <laughs> struggling and all that stuff. And he had success, but he, you know, but the success of being, you know, a lawyer, you know, a Harvard degree, like that's just a whole nother thing. So that's always funny to me that he was just like, it's the most punk rock thing ever to turn down that lane. You know what I mean? And it's not as if he was working at some, uh, Apologies to Wisconsin, but some yeah. teeny thing in Wisconsin where he knew he had to do like uh, you know fire insurance claims for the for another thirty years. Yeah, he's at a major, major oh yeah uh, law firm, right? Yeah, it, so. it, it just, it's you know it's interesting, but that's the thing is I feel like a lot of uh, artists' lives, you know, like you know, there's the thing that is similar, which is usually paying dues, the struggle, and then uh, then fame hits, and then a lot of them aren't ready for it. And then, you know, addiction and things like that or a comeback. But um, the beginning is always interesting to me. To me, that's the most original part of a lot of the artists. You know, like Hendrix and Johnny Cash were in the military and, 
you know, and Dottie Dangerfield was selling aluminum siding and, you know, and, you know, and Steve Martin was making balloon animals at Disney World and, you know, things like that. That's that's always the most interesting thing to me. And then the fact that this guy was <laughs> his early life is just, you know, it's just phenomenal to me, yeah. you know, how he was able to do that. But uh, so uh, so he wrote this book yep. and. um you know, uh, co-author of this this amazing book. Um, we don't have a we don't have a video here, but we're going to pretend we do. <laughs> Greg Giraldo, a comedian story, and with us in the studio, Wayne Jones, co-author of the book with Matt uh, Bollicker. Is that how you say his name? Bollicker. Bollicker. All right, we said it. And uh, yeah, walking up, I realized you were Canadian, which uh, you know usually I don't like Canadians in the studio, but uh, you know we we allowed you in today. <laughs> I appreciate the pat down, by the way. Well, being a you know the Texas Rangers fan, you guys are pretty nasty to the to the, the Rangers, those Toronto Blue Jay fans. But uh, so yeah, so I don't know that much about your experience with this. You know, I just uh, I was very excited when I you know I saw that it kind of came out. You guys kind of did a, a soft push on Twitter and stuff like that. Yep. So it was kind of like I was like, whoa, really? Wow, you know, Greg Giraldo book. I mean, that's interesting. And uh, you know, I reached out to Matt. He got me a book. The whole thing. And then. Um, yeah, it just it was just, uh, and I think it's slowly starting to get some momentum. I think comedians are starting to talk about it. Last night you had an event at the Black Cat Pussycat thing and uh, the cellar, and that was, you know, just hopefully the beginning of this, and a lot of people start to to know about Greg because yeah. I feel he's one of these underrated guys, you know. These guys that, you know, you know, like, you know, when you're in high school, you have that band that like nobody knows, you know, but you know how great they are, you know, and it's just like, that's how I felt Greg was to a lot of us. I think that's a good way to describe yeah. it. Like he was anyone who knows anything about comedy knows about him, right? They know that he's great. They've heard the name. They yeah. see him perform. And he was just on the cusp with the last comic standing stuff to make a, you know, to make a venue, to make a foray yeah. into being so that. He might be a common, a semi commonplace name, and that's when he died, kind of thing. Yeah, he hated so, that though, didn't he? He didn't. Days. He didn't like the show very much, but it was kind of a vehicle that could have led to something else. Of you course, know, uh, that might have been like his own show or something like that. Or of course, knows, right? of course. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, Greg always looked out for me, and I remember I auditioned for that, uh, and it was. It was pretty exciting because it was him, and I was like, oh, I know this guy, whatever. And it was funny. He passed me, and then all the other ones didn't. And I was just like, <laughs> I, was like I thought I had an in. I was like, Greg's got my back. And then the other two hated me, and I was like, ah, fuck. <laughs> Here's comedy. <laughs> just when you think you got it, you know a guy. And then it was like, it didn't, ma it didn't make a difference. So I said something that pissed everybody off. But uh, it, Greg's, it was funny because when I was coming up, it was, uh, you know, Greg was probably about, you know, maybe about five years in or something. And, and he was starting, I think when he, when I came up, it was all the talk about, you know, him and his uh, sitcom, Common Law. Like right. that was like, it was like all these, you know, he was, he was the guy. He was the it comic when I was coming up. Like everybody was talking about him. Like he was just, he was just this guy that would just always crush. And then he had this interesting backstory of being a lawyer and all this stuff. So it was just like, it was really hard to compete. And he's good looking. Like it was a whole <laughs> perfect hair like he had the whole package like he was just this guy he was cool he was and he was a sweetheart on top of it yeah. so you couldn't even be like this guy's an asshole you know he's like no he's a great guy too so <laughs> so he really had everything going for him and then there's um i'm sure you know a lot of people talk about but he's one of the guys 
that uh, all the comics watched, you know, like we're in the back watching this guy and just watching him formulate jokes and things. And it was just, it's really fascinating just watching him when I was a young comic. You're right about this whole, yeah. this whole sort of package that he yeah. had. He was prepared for a certain route. And I guess it turned out in a certain way, like he did end up with probably a lot of people know, don't know about this sitcom in the, uh, in 96 that he had for a year. It only lasted like three episodes on, on, on air. But that's where sort of that was all leading him, right? That package. That wasn't the right route for him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he probably would have been miserable if it went on for five years. It, it, if I can say in square, square in uh, scare quotes, ended after three episodes. But it wasn't the thing. And he said that afterwards, you know, I, 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 I couldn't act very well. I, what, what was I doing there kind of thing, right? Yeah. And the thing is, is like some people aren't meant to be that Ray Romano type of comedian. You know, not everybody gets that. You know, if you ever seen like Jay Leno's early acting work <laughs> right. or Bill Maher, you know, I mean, yeah, Jay Leno's was in a mo movie with Pat Morito oh. from Karate Kid. Like this horrible, like, you know, just it's just not what they're they're good at. You know what I mean? They're they're good at, you know, telling jokes. And some people, Brian Regan, phenomenal comedian. Is he an actor type? No, not really. He's yeah. just a comedian. And I think. And I, there's nothing to me that's you know Bill Burr. There's certain guys. It's like they might do a little acting or whatever, but I think their true calling is stand-up comedy. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing is, it's like you know, I I don't know. I think it's and also I think it takes time. You know, it's like like Louis C.K. didn't you know his first sitcom was kind of shit. You know, it didn't know Lucky Louis, which it's kind of a cult classic. A lot of us like it, yeah. but. Um, but, down. Yeah, but he figured it out when he actually, you know, did let's do it the way I do short films and let's, you know, he formulated it in a way that like it was all him instead of other people coming in and trying to like create this sitcom and, or whatever, like with the live audience and all that stuff. So he stripped all that away and it was good. But uh, I think Greg probably could have done that as well, you know, uh, given another chance. I mean, Chappelle had like nine pilots, you yeah. know. So it's like, you know, that's the thing in this business, you know, people get multiple chances. Greg had pilots. He had about, yeah. uh, I think, about something like a half a dozen of them. But they were all, none of the pilots after this, after uh, Common Law were sitcom pilots. They're all, you know, shows, variety okay. shows of some kind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all sorts of stuff. But uh, I agree with you about the acting. I mean, uh, he might have developed into that. He's obviously a smart guy. Uh, but it wasn't. I think there's something about the sort of the purity of being on stage and a, as a stand-up. There's oh, something yeah. about the control. Yeah. There's another thing, you know, uh, we, we interviewed a lot of people about, you know, what happened to Common Law? Why did it only last three episodes? And Greg was talking, Greg himself wrote, was interviewed about this, and he was saying, you know, it basically was corporate. You had, uh, at that time, uh, Disney taking over ABC, I think, and people wanted this. And also yeah. the whole thing about him... Uh, people wanting him to sort of represent the Latino culture, you know, that was really, really something that was uh, against Greg, Greg's principles. He wanted yeah, yeah, to be yeah. funny. He didn't yeah. want to be the Latino guy who's funny kind of thing. Yeah. No, absolutely. You know, that's that's the thing is it's like that's what they try to do sometimes. You know, it's like I'm, I'm from Texas and stuff, and I've been with managers and stuff, and they're like, okay, you need more of a southern accent. You need to, like, ham it up. But that's kind of what when you say you're from the south, that's what people want to hear. It's like, well, I don't talk like that. You know what I mean? Like, I, It's like I've traveled. Like, I've been in New York over 20 years. Like, I don't speak that way. So don't try to force that. But, yeah, he was definitely, yeah, it was an afterthought that he was Latino. Like, he was yeah. just everything. Like, he, you know, he wasn't just one thing. Anyone who's listened to uh, any of his stand-up, and I've listened to 
most of it, if not all of it, kind of thing. I mean, not having seen him live, but anything that's available in video. Yeah. Uh, you don't hear him talking about that, very rarely referring to it. And the only time it will be will be to sort of put it down as something that he stands for. He had a yeah. funny line about the uh, about the common law. He was saying, you know, when they were being pressured for him to be Again, I'm doing the quotes, more Latino kind of thing. Yeah. He was saying, you know, what the hell did he want us to do? Walk around wearing sombreros and eating tacos? <laughs> <laughs> I think they do, actually. <laughs> so you never, you never saw him live. No, wow. I never did. No, that's I never unbelievable. Did. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. That's, yeah. that's fantastic. And so how did this come about? Like, how did you guys say, like, you know, this is your first book, correct? This is not my first book. It's Matt's first book. Matt's first yeah, book. Yeah. Okay. All right. Because he was saying it wasn't a writer or something. So that's why I got confused right. last yeah. <laughs> time. That lady that went up after was hilarious. She's yeah. like, don't say you're not writers. Nobody's going to buy the book. <laughs> I was shaking my fist at her at the time. What, uh, could I ask what you've written before? Or? I've written a couple of novels and I've written a book about uh, uh, minimalism. Oh, Yeah. 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 How'd that go? It went well. I yeah. mean, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very thin book. It's a very book. thin book. <laughs> very basic, no artwork. You yeah. must have missed it on the New York Times bestseller list, I guess. Oh, yeah, I must have. <laughs> well, that's, that's what I knew this book was um, uh, serious, a serious biography, autobiography, whatever you call it, is because there was no pictures in the middle. That's what okay. I knew. <laughs> Because <laughs> usually there's always, you know, that little glossy thing in the middle. Sure. There's always the little pictures. I said, oh, these guys are serious. There's like no pictures. I thought I was just like, because I was looking for them when I got the book. I was like, what do you mean there's no little glossy thing in the middle? That was, that was funny. There's no glossy, but there are pictures at the end. Oh, there is. Yeah. Okay. I want to see. Obviously, I hadn't nice finished we, it. Yeah. We, got some, we got some photos. Of, oh, there we go. Yeah. No, and and just, just keep going a little more. Oh, okay. Oh, I yeah. see. Oh, there you go. So they okay. got some photos like of Greg you. at his prom and stuff like see? that. We figured there were photos that uh, no one you. else would have ever seen before. That's yeah, you got them at the. See, that's you're smart. You like read the book, then you'll see the pictures. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, you know, halfway in. So yeah. that's, that's my problem. Like in Canada, we're brilliant like that. <laughs> <laughs> so how did this come about? Like, how did you guys like formulate this whole thing? Like, we're going to write a book about Greg Giraldo. Like, how did this happen? Yeah, no, it was basically Matt's idea from about five years ago. Okay. So Matt was, you know, Matt is as like me, a gigantic fan of uh, of Greg. Okay. And uh, he realized that there was no book that had been written, and basically took it all on himself to write that book. And he did about a year and a half of interviews and sort of working on the book and doing some basic writing, and then. Uh, uh, he did a Kickstarter project. That's how I found out about it. And then Matt and I got talking, and uh, Matt was thinking, you know, maybe uh, maybe I might need a co-author on this, and asked me if I wanted to be co-author. I was all over it. It took me about seven nanoseconds to decide. <laughs> and uh, three and a half years later after that, now a total of five years, the book is out. It took us, took us longer than we thought, yeah. but that's how it happened. It's basically Matt's idea, and then uh, he and I have worked on it uh, together for three and a half years plus the boat year or so that he spent on it. And what was what was um, like your first uh, introduction to Greg? Like what's just the roast and things or what how did you like I mean how did I'm just curious how you became a fan. Yeah I probably it was either the roast or uh, as you mentioned the good day to cross a river kind of thing. He did okay. a CD called that and it was the kind of I'm a huge fan of stand up so I follow it. And uh, I, th I think it was Good Day to Cross a River, which is just, if, any, if people haven't heard it, uh, it's a fantastic CD. It's really perfect. Excellent, excellent comedy. So. Uh, so, okay, yeah, that's, you know, it's, it's always, it's funny because it's always like uh, shocking when I hear people say they're stand up comedy fans. 
Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Who aren't like in the business oh, of, wow. of comedy? Because they, you know, you just think because we're all up there, you know, night after night, just trying to sling jokes and get laughs, and you just think nobody's appreciating this shit. We're just a bunch of dancing monkeys moving drinks. Oh, you know, we no. do a lot of us. You know, we're we're you know we're paying dues and yeah. whatever, and you know, it's a great business. Don't get me wrong, I love it, and it's like to make money out is a beautiful thing, but. You know, you get heckled. Like nobody. I'm just saying, it's like it, it is a weird art form because it's like you know nobody's at the theater heckling. You know, the main actor. Right. You know, that's trying to deliver a line. But in comedy, there's so much chaos that happens. You just assume people don't respect it. So it's always a beautiful thing when people seek it out like they would jazz or something. You know. Oh no, I'm a yeah. big, big. If it's any consolation, there's at least yeah. one Canadian, me, who's a big fan of stand-up <laughs> comedy. So. There's 30, 35 million Canadians, but definitely I'm the guy. No, but, but in all seriousness, I agree with you. I think of it as an art form. Uh, you know, people think, I remember Greg saying, for example, that um, he had heard from someone that, uh, boy, you must be pretty brave to get up on stage kind of thing. And Greg was Greg's response back was, uh, what, that's all you need to do, get on stage? I think you have to do some writing, too, you know? <laughs> You know, it's not just a matter of sort of just going up there. But it is, you yeah. know, something with writing involved in it, it's something with delivery, uh, crowd work, that all that sort of th- thing. I think it's underappreciated, you know, because it looks like a lot of people might think I just get up there and tell jokes kind of thing or oh, I yeah. just get up there and I'm a naturally funny guy. And there's much, much more to it than that. Absolutely. Right? As you would know. I'm yeah, no, no, absolutely. And um yeah, I think, you know, I think what it is, too, is it is kind of a weird thing because everybody thinks they're kind of funny. You know, I've talked about it with other comedians. Like, most people kind of think they're funny because most people have gotten a laugh somewhere, you know, whether it be at a party or a barbecue or a wedding toast or, you know what I mean? Like, people have, like, but not everybody says, you know, hey, I can fly an airplane. You know, like, not a, <laughs> like there's no, there's so many difficult things out there that nobody automatically goes, I could do that. But for comedy, it's like, yeah. I could probably pull that off, you know, and I, at work, I kill it in the, in the break room or, you know, so it's like, there's a natural thing that we're just so cocky as people that we think, yeah, that thing, we can do that. And then we're also programmed with, you know, since we were kids, street jokes and stuff. Sure. So we've been telling jokes that we've heard and the thing. So I, you just think you know how to tell a joke, you know, I And, and actually yeah. you see, you know, again, I watch a lot of stand-up comedy and yeah. you see, you do see co- comedians uh, who you go, you know, that guy would probably be great at a party, but it's not at a level that he should be performing as a stand-up. Yeah, he'd, yeah. He'd, he'd, you know, near the guy flipping the burgers at the barbecue, he'd be fu- fucking hitting it, right? <laughs> but uh, but it, it needs to raise to a level before you get to, you know, perform on stage. Sure, yeah. absolutely. No, it's, uh, yeah, it's just, it's a funny little art form. And I think the people that are drawn to it are very interesting people too. That's the thing. I'm sure you, you know, just by studying Greg and like talking to all the comedians and getting to know the comedians has, that's, I'm sure that's been rewarding and, you know, in itself, just like yeah. getting to talk to some of these guys. And uh, so, yeah, because it is funny because it's like, you know, Greg has an interesting backstory, but so does, you know, Ted Alexandro and like all these, you know, other comedians. And it's just like, you know, it, it, you know, a lot of us are smart people, and we could have we could have chosen other paths. You know, that would have been definitely a lot more stable. You know, <laughs> right. you know, with like real insurance and 
maybe a real retirement plan, <laughs> maybe something our parents would have been proud of us for. You know, they could, a lot of us could have done that, you know, and it's just like, you know, the thing is, but I always say, even when I have like a tough set or it's like, you know, some shitty road gig or the pay's not what I want it to be, it still beats, you know, being in a cubicle and like having somebody micromanage you and just, you know, the same spreadsheet day after day, not to, you know, diminish anything people do to make a living. I get it. Yeah. But at the same time, for me personally, you know, I like to be able to dress the way I want to dress, you know, you know, I'm a night owl. Like it has all these components. It really draws kind of us misfits together, you know, that could, can't, it just can't really be bothered by anything else, you know. Yeah, and I think Greg was similar. This whole thing, as people may know, he uh, graduated Harvard Law School, then got a job at this extremely prestigious law firm, but he only lasted there for about a year. And this was part of the thing, you know, he realized in himself that there's no way I can do this. I need to, I need a creative outlet. I can't yeah. do this for the next, uh, whatever, 40, 50 years or whatever. And that's when he started, uh, basically, even while he was at the firm, mm -hmm. he started going out to open mics and performing and doing well kind of thing. And, uh, it's it's a big gamble, but he basically dropped. And you know he could he was making back at that time a, a, a large salary, like something like eighty five k or something, and uh, he dropped all that and uh, quit the job basically, and yeah. uh, did started doing stand up. Went from open mics to you know uh, getting sets at the cellar and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, he he was you know some people are meant to be you know comedians and some people have to work at it and and like not that he didn't work at it, obviously but you know he was naturally gifted at it like it was and i think it had a lot to do with, like he could have been a successful would have continued to have been a successful lawyer as well because i think it's similar traits too you know where you got to hold a you got to hold a courtroom you got to you know you got to like stand out you know you got to convince people of things and it's it, much like comedy you know it's like right. <laughs> you're holding a crowd you got to like convince them that this punchline is worth laughing at and you know it's, it's very similar in that kind of, of way so either way obviously would work with him but it's like you know there's people that are just good at it quickly. And that was, was so frustrating about somebody like Greg Jarrell. <laughs> Damn him. Fuck this guy. He's so good so quick. But, I mean, but David Tell kind of uh, mentioned it as well last night where it's just like, yeah, he was just, he was just, he got better every time. Like, and that's, that, that's, that's the thing too is, you know, he would, I feel, would have gone towards that Carlin-esque, you know, route of kind of being on top of the mountain kind of thing because, you know, that's that's where he was headed because he did get better every time. So yeah. I think he definitely would have, you know, really been part of that whole, like, discussion of the best of the best because he just had this way of kind of, like, tapping. And, and the thing is, too, is he never got old when he watched Greg Jarrell. It wasn't like, like, he was always taking risk and doing something different, you yeah. know. Yeah. And part of that was what you say, like he was, uh, he starts off being smart, but he was also one of the things, and we emphasize this right throughout the book, he was always writing all the time. So he wasn't always sort of just repeating the same stuff at, you know, in the various cities. Grant, obviously, he didn't have a unique set for every, every city, yeah. but he was always doing new writing and always uh, a lot of topical stuff kind of thing, which keeps him sort of on point. Uh, so he had all that sort of going for him, you know, so it's always getting practice at it yeah. and uh, no doubt that helps. And you combine that with kind of a natural 
gift and you're quite right about the uh like he never felt when he died he was 44 but it never felt like a you know some old old comedian or something or he's doing older stuff now about having kids or something like that he always felt totally relevant oh yeah uh, yeah it's, it's it's quite amazing and on the other hand another way to read that is that God damn it, he was only 44, and you can imagine another 15 years of oh, comedy coming out of that. Yeah. It would have just been great. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, it's, yeah, we're all trying to pretend that um, those roasts are still good. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, we all try to watch these roasts, and we're like, okay, yeah, this is good. You know, we all, we're all trying to pretend, we're all trying to pretend that Latino comedy is still is taking new levels and we're all like these things that you know without greg really it's it's impacted you know yeah. the, and i feel like and the roasts are really fun he was phenomenal oh, yeah. on the roast yeah. nobody was better no. i don't care i mean i love jeff ross and blah 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 but i mean it was like he just he, he he i don't know what it was like there's been people that have been good on there but nobody like greg he was so funny the way he like like my favorite moments were um he t- uh, Larry the Cable Guy was a great roast. <laughs> He's like, I don't understand. How are you so huge? I don't get it. And, he just, and it's a real moment. It like is. he's literally, that's all Greg going, what the fuck? How's this guy so famous? Why do people love you? I don't get it. And it was like, it was the better than any line he could ever like zero in on him because it was just a real emotion of just like what the, you know it was because it symbolized everything that was the business like yeah. you you can't you know predict who's gonna whatever and it was it was that that frustration in a funny way but it was definitely yeah. frustration of just like what the, you it doesn't matter how funny you are how smart you are it doesn't matter because this guy's gonna be huge yeah. no matter what there's gonna be this audience for that guy and it was just I just love that moment that's one of my favorite roasts yeah the uh, and I, I we're, we're pretty certain that was unscripted but he basically said says uh, something like, um, how are you so popular? And then yeah, he yeah. says, Jesus Christ, this one fucking broke my back. <laughs> Look at Larry the Cable Guy. Yeah. And, but in the end of it, but at the end of it, it's like every person, you know, it's, it's really funny to watch some of those roasts because they all try to diss on Greg like he's like not as, not, you know, not doing well or whatever. But, but every single person just, utmost respect for him as a comedian you know what i mean like anybody that even though that's part of the thing of a roast you know to kind of make fun of yeah greg's you know he's open mic or whatever they were trying to you know be funny about but you know everybody respected greg right you know i'd never seen the most you know one of the most respected people you know that i've ever seen far as a comedian yeah you're right yeah people the the thing always almost always the host who would be introducing him would be saying who, who the hell is this guy? Yeah. That was the kind of the line. <laughs> sure, Even sure. Kathy Griffin at the time, she yeah. what did she say? The she called him the who Larius kind of thing, like Hilarious, who is yeah. this guy kind of thing. But it, comedians knew who he was. Sure, it just had never you know just come up that level. It would be interesting to see what would have happened to him, like if he had another five years, and if say from Last Comic Standing he had gotten his own show or something like that. Could have been really interesting, but hey, yeah, was... you know, yeah, it's like you know, it was interesting. I'd always heard maybe you can, you can squash this if it's a real thing or not, but uh, I had heard a rumor that like he was to take over Tough Crowd and then chose not to because of Colin and was like because they want to replace him 
with Greg? I don't know. I'd heard that on the kind of the back end. Not quite. It okay. was basically that he was offered a show that was similar to Tough okay. Crowd. Okay. And actually, they did a pilot for it. And there's a there's a bit in the book we talk about where Greg actually felt guilty about this because he he could see it was similar to Tough Crowd. Okay. And he talked to Colin about it. He said, you know, I'm I'm very uh, I'm very hesitant to do this. I don't want to be you know honing in on your territory kind of thing. And Colin said to him, man, you've been offered this. Uh, we know you've been, you know, had integrity about it. Take it. Go for it. Okay. Do the pilot. So it wasn't quite taking over Tough okay. Crowd. Tough Crowd was ending. And okay. there was a show similar to that uh, that was starting that Greg was offered. But okay. that didn't get uh, taken up. Okay. I, he had one show that lasted for a minute. And it was... Uh, <laughs> it was... He was. Just, I remember seeing it was him just kind of walking around the city, yeah. like, and that was that was really funny. Yeah, he, like yeah. they had some. He like went into like a dog grooming place, and he was talking to the dogs. Or I don't know what it was. I forget. I was. I, I can't remember. Probably high when I saw it, but it was just like something where he was just like walking around and talking to you know regular people. Yeah. I think I don't know what that thing was. You know, it's yeah. just like you know that's the thing. Is just like when you're talented. People, you know, people try to find the right outlet for you. And people, you know, people did. I'll, I'll give the industry a little bit of credit. You know, it's like you can't, you can't shit on the industry 100% because Comedy Central was pretty good to Greg. Like they really tried to find something that, you know, would work for everybody. Yeah, they, they, they were very good to him like that. Yeah. He had several pilots with Comedy Central and he even had a couple or one with, uh, you know, some of the bigger networks as well. But Comedy Central wanted him. We, in, you know, in the in the, the video documentary that was made about him, uh, you know, the guy from Comedy Central was saying, you know, we, we wanted to find something for him kind yeah. of thing. We realized his talent. Uh, and I agree with you about the show, the one, the walking around the street. You could actually see parts of that show, the pilot anyway, on the extras for the DVD for Midlife Vices, which mm. is a DVD that he did. But there's yeah. a great bit in it where he does stuff like he's, he's <laughs> he goes into this place where they're where they make communion wafers for Catholics, <laughs> and he's asking the guy already you know, funny. Do you have do you have uh, for the Latino Catholics? Do you have ones with jalapenos in them? <laughs> like that show should have worked. Oh, and yeah. and the thing is is like well I mean it, it, it probably it would have worked. I feel a show like that would have worked if you just sometimes it's about just whatever suit wants to like keep it on the air or not. You know, I mean, there's so many great shows that yeah. like go off the air and you know that people just don't give it a chance. You know, there's yeah. so many like and it has nothing to do with anything really. Like, what, I mean, maybe it's when they placed it. You know, if it was like a Saturday night at seven or something, nobody's watching anyway. You know, a lot of these successful shows and things have a lot to do with placement and what they're following and, you know, all that stuff. Politics, corporate yeah, uh, awesome. machinations, whatever. Yeah. I mean, this is we, we did a fair bit of research about what did happen to yeah. uh, to Common Law, the sitcom that he had in 96. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it was basically, as we can conclude, corporate. had nothing to do with, uh, you know, what the ratings were terrible or Greg's acting was bad or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, it may have been small contributing factors, but it was a corporate thing, right? So Yeah, it, it might have been a little bit of like, you know, there was kind of a um, – you know, shoot out of the cannon kind of thing for Greg, you know. So I'm I, I'm just saying it's like, you know, that might have been something better that if it would have happened maybe a little bit after he had gotten more of his groove as a stand-up, I think might have, like, connected it better, you know what I mean? Because, like, when somebody has a special and then they have a sitcom, 
and then I feel like it all kind of like packages itself a little bit better. Well, with him, it was just like he had his, like seven minutes on Caroline's Comedy Hour, and then boom, I got a sitcom. You know, it was like we barely knew his stand up, and then it was like, who's this guy that you know for the for the rest of the world? You know, yeah. I think is it's kind of like whereas now I think it works a little bit better as a stand up when you have a little more recognition doing comedy. Yeah, you might have a point there yeah. because he, you know, the distance between him being a stand-up who was touring and getting respected and then getting offered this uh, in 95 got offered yeah. this you know primetime sitcom was not much so that maybe when they saw that you know maybe when they could see faults in him there's nothing for him to sort of offer back as you know here's the corpus of my work here's what i yeah. do he just was a a, a new stand-up comedian right happened yeah. to be handsome happened to fit in with the with the show and everything but he had no uh, kind of resume in a certain kind of way to say, hey, man, I've done all this stuff. Yeah. I've got 10 years of stand-up behind me. Just give it a chance. Yeah, yeah, whereas Ray Romano had Letterman behind him and like yeah. some of these guys. So it's like I feel like it was more of a launching. I mean, it was easier to launch something like that. Yeah. You know. Um, so how was it, you know, just kind of digging into this and like the the research element to it? Like what's what how did you guys approach that? Did you just start sending emails to everybody and families and how how did how did you guys begin this journey? I know you said Matt started the book, but how how did you guys kind of like, you know, head towards completion? Overall, it's basically based on about 70 interviews we did with people. Wow. So these are people who are either in the business, in the family, other comics, couple okay. of fans, uh, managers, that sort of thing. So we were trying to do that, that, that sort of thing. So we, we think we've covered that. Obviously not fully comprehensively. Yeah. You can interview another 75 people, right? So sure. you have to have them. So, but we you know, reached out either through their agents or directly, and people would get back to us. Most of the interviews we did uh, uh, on telephone, and some of them we did in person, yeah. and some of them we did, uh, for whatever reason, the person just did it by email. But we did that. So the, the interviews are the basis of it. So okay. we've got these long interviews with lots of people. And then we supplemented that with uh, online research and other sorts of research, right? So articles that have been written, interviews he'd done, uh, uh, you know, looking at all his performances, all obviously that kind of thing, and sort of brought all that together to produce kind of a, a narrative that, that sort of flowed and that flowed. We think it flows fairly well. And then we were, you know, we made a lot of decisions about how to kind of arrange the book because a very important part about any book, even if you do have a fascinating story, is that you need, it needs to be structured in a way so that when people read it, they feel they're just sort of lolling along. It doesn't go, what, you, what the hell is this chapter doing here? Or this is too long, that yeah, kind yeah. of thing. So we were very careful about that. And it's kind of good to have two writers, Matt and... Matt and I, because uh, we were both good critics of each other's work. Okay. So, uh, but the chapters are definitely a meld of, of what we both did. And, you know, uh, say I would write something and Matt would say, you know, maybe that's a little long there or maybe it sounds a little academic or yeah. do we really need this here or it needs to be bolstered up with something else, that kind of thing. So we went through drafts and drafts and drafts. But we also got, as people do for books, uh, professional help. You know, we got professional editors to have objective editors to have a look at it. That's great. And they gave us good suggestions. And um, it turned into, you know, it, it, I, I, the, 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 the image I use is that, you know, if you imagine a wet cloth, we rang that thing until it was <laughs> dry as anything. It's a pretty thick book. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> For a comic. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's like, comedy. I'm still not finished with it. I'm like, damn it. I'm usually, I finish a comedian book pretty quickly. I was like, ah, oh, this is more all these words. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
I didn't even know that. Like I said, I didn't know there was pictures in the band. I was like, got to get to the backs, dummy. <laughs> some of the words have like two and three syllables. I know. It's a lot for me. I'm from Texas. It sticks a lot. Yeah. Um, so, so that's basically what we did. We want it to be not just a, like a kind of a, just the interviews, yeah. nor did we want it to be, we definitely did not want it to be a knock, and it's not. I will say that confidently, like a knockoff of a bunch of crappy research we did on the internet. It's yeah. not just that. We found a lot of valuable information on the internet. Sure. But it's not just that by no stretch of the imagination. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, did you guys, uh, were you privy to like any like secret Geraldo performances or anything? Anybody like? Yes, we we were actually. There's yeah. a, it's mentioned in the book. There's a woman named uh, Jessie Bade who was a, who was a, uh, kind of a starting stand-up comedian in the early, very early 90s. Okay. And she has a video of Greg performing, which I got to see at a hotel corporate room in Burlington, <laughs> Vermont kind of thing. <laughs> That's great. Because, and, and in her defense, she was yeah. very hesitant and she had good reasons to sort of share it with us. Okay. Because, you know, to sort of give us a copy. Partly because, you know, you never know where things end up, right? As soon as you send an sure. electronic copy, yeah. suddenly there's 10,000 copies yeah, on yeah, the internet. Yeah. But the other thing, and I, I really respected her for this, she thought, you know, this is this is for Greg's children kind of thing. Okay. She, but I did get to see it, and we talk about it in the book about Greg's performance. And he would have been, like, this would have been, I'm uh, forgetting exactly, it's around 91 or 92, something like that was his really super starting out oh wow yeah that's yeah. that's early stuff yeah that's terrifying yeah. to know that people have that footage of you when you first start yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you haven't even developed your good dick jokes no that, you right? have no idea what you're doing <laughs> like no t- yeah but that's that's got to be interesting to watch somebody of his caliber at that early stage because you know i'm sure it was you know not as polished obviously yeah. It, it wasn't in a way, but you know what the funny thing was? And I've heard, I'm not a stand-up comedian, yeah. but I've heard from other stand-ups that one of the more difficult things to do is crowd work. Okay. But he, in this thing, yeah. works the crowd. Oh, he's he playing the with the crowd, crowd. yeah. She, you know, so even at this extremely early stage, he was starting to have a facility for that even. Yeah, that's that had a lot to do with just his, you know, confidence and, you know, likability. That's the thing, too, is... Uh, you know, that's that's a thing that's not, you know, really zeroed in on either is, you know, likability is so important as a comedian. You know, it's like we're all thinking that it's like these amazing jokes and all this stuff. And it is, you know, we want to take risks and whatnot. But it's like, you know, y- y- you got to be likable. I mean, the people have to kind of want to, to, you know, connect to you and stuff like that. And he was definitely like walking to a room and it was just like he lit it up. Like it was like Greg's here. Let's have fun. That's the thing is like. You know, and things with me, I have such a back and forth relationship with him where it's just like, you know, like, like we partied a little bit in the beginning and it was just like, I remember one time he said to me and he was just like, that's what we're going to do, man. We're going to go to my house in Long Island. We're going to do a lot of coke and we're going to (laughs) write. It was the greatest thing I'd ever heard in my life. It never happened, but it was like, but the idea of it was like, yes, I'm going to write with Greg Giraldo. We're going to be trapped in a, we're gonna be, it's, like, it's like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. We're just going to be trapped in this space and we're just going to write it. I'm going to be a genius. And I'm going to be huge. This is what's going to launch me. Like, I remember him saying that to me outside of a club and I was like, yes. I was, I was so excited. I was like, yes. Because I was very impressionable, and you know, it's just like you know, with guys like him, you know, he was like just he was like this god to me, him and Attell, and like you know, certain yeah. guys that were just like, 
you know, these guys would just like swag up there and just like, and every time I would see somebody like Greg, it was just like, damn it, I got to work harder. Yeah. Like, damn it, I got to take more risks. Damn, it, I need to read things and find out what's happening in the world. And damn it, I need to have more confidence. And damn it, you know, it was always that in a good way, but it was still like, you know, he just made me want to work harder and be a better comedian. It's funny you should say that because I we may have that exact quote in the book from another comedian. And they say the exact same thing about watching him and him being an inspiration. And the other, the two things that they mention, one is about the writing. Yeah. Always be writing and always be writing something yeah. new. But the other thing was that, and this was before, kind of in his later years when the, the drinking and the drugs kind of took over. But it, there was a point at which he was a family man. Sure. With, raising a couple of kids. He was still married. They were yeah. living together. But he also, he would say, like, uh, you know, the guys would say, we're going out for drinks kind of thing. And he would say, you know what, i got to go home mm. kind of thing. And that was also, other comedians cited that as a kind of something they admired in him, that you could be an edgy, smart, uh, admired comedian, but you could have a couple of kids at home and do that too. You don't have to be out, I think it was Robert Kelly was saying, you don't have to be, you know, banging hookers kind of thing in order to, you know, have that street uh, edge kind of thing. Yeah, but, you know, but there's definitely <laughs> that dark side to Greg, so, yes. you know, of wanting to, well, the thing is with him is, like, you know, that, I think that was a part of the, you know, the turmoil was, like, family man, rock star, you know, it was, like, it was those two things kind of always kind of eating at each other, you know, because I felt like he did want to be a good, you know, father and stuff, we talked a little bit about that, and he, he wanted to, you know, do that life, but at, but at the same time, if it was burning inside of him, he wanted to party. He wanted to be a part of that, you know. And I think it had a lot to do with just he kind of wanted to be Sam Kennison and that kind of thing, you know. I feel like that's that's you know, and I get that. That's why I party for so long. It's like, you know, you think you know, you come to New York, you know, it's it has that. It's very addicting like that. It just yeah. it draws you in. How did you? You were saying you've been sober for eleven years now. Yeah. Why is it? What is it that prevented you from, because Greg was also sober for a while or yeah. tried to be, but was unsuccessful at it. Yeah. What is it that made you think that, hey, I can still stay sober, but still stay funny as well? Uh, you know, it's, uh, I burned a lot of bridges, you know, I think uh, it has a lot to do with, you know, just kind of, there's some clubs that won't even let me in the door anymore because of the stupid shit I did. And I have a good partner, you know, my my girl, we've been together a long time, and I think it's, and a lot of times it's like, you know, I want to be a better person for her, and I also, it's like, I'm a hundred times funnier than I was when I was drinking, you know, because I have my full brain, I'm, I'm, I'm present, where it's just like, sometimes it's like, I would drink because I was scared to death, you know, I was just like, I felt like I needed to like, shoot a shot back to get on stage, or, you know, smoke weed, or whatever, and it's like, you know, I felt like because I'm kind of an introvert, like it's, I'm shy and stuff. So I felt like that stuff kind of put me out there and made me more confident. But it was the opposite. It just made me heady and get snappy on stage or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I think it's just um, it was just time. You know, to me, it's just like I like I always say, like, if you're in your 20s, party on. Have a good time. You know, I'm, but when you start 35, 40, when you start getting, like, time to slow it down. Yeah, yeah. Because it's not a good look. It'll age you quick. It'll, you know, you'll have health problems. Like, just, you know, I, I say in your 20s, live it up. Yeah. You know? Maybe, I'd say 35 is a good time to kind of get it together. And then it's like, 40, definitely in your 40s. Like, don't even try to, like, keep up. And that was part, you know, yeah. he tried to keep up with these kids, you know. And it was just like, because he, cause he had, he really thought there was part of him that he was 20 years old all the time. 
He yeah. was, you know, teenager at heart, you know. You were right. And he, uh, there was a part where he was uh, struggling to be a father and a, a husband, but also be this uh, this uh, edgy comedian as well. Yeah. But that period didn't last very long. There was a period where so he kind of pulled it off. Mm-hmm. But eventually, even though he loved his kids and everything, eventually uh, he wasn't good for them, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, Greg is, it's, um, it's interesting because it's like, I remember he used to, um, you know, when I first started, first time I remember seeing him ride his motorcycle, it was the funniest thing. It was just like, and, uh, did you interview Ben Bailey at all? We did not. Okay. Ben Bailey always had a, he had a funny roast joke and he talked about it. He he basically compared him, like you see this Latino on a motorcycle, basically, you know, uh, Eric Estrada from Chips, like we always made fun of him. This Latino on a motorcycle, it was always the running gag that he was... (laughs) It was Ponch. That's it. Ponch from Chips, and uh, but um, but it was just it was the greatest thing ever. He I was just mesmerized by by him because he would. I remember I was like a I don't know I was just like an intern at the Gotham Comedy Club when it was a smaller club on twenty fourth or something twenty third, and he would just come in. He would ride his motorcycle and he was just like rah, 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 and he'd get up and like take his helmet off and just like swag into the to the club and you know just get on stage and just kill and then like get back put his leather jacket back on like it was really? <laughs> yeah it was like who's this guy like it was every everything I want to be is this guy and so. You know, it was just, it's it's such a memory to me, the early days of Greg, and then, you know, unfortunately, some of the later days are rough, you know, and I remember first person I called, you know, when I'd heard that he was in the hospital was Robert Kelly, and I told him, I said, you know, this, you know, how how's he doing, keep me updated, you know, it was a really, um, it, it really kind of, it, it shocked all of us, but at the same time, we felt it was coming, and so it was like a weird feeling that we all felt, you know, and especially because I had done some sobriety things with him, so I felt like a little responsible on my end. I felt like, you know, that's when you start to go into this thing, like, could I have called more? Could I have reached out more? But at the same time, you know, he was kind of, you know, he was rock and rolling, so it was hard to kind of get a hold of him during that period, you know? It was a lot of, you know, people, and... uh you know, it was, um, you know, the funeral was rough, you know, seeing all those family members and stuff and, uh, you know, watch, you know, the kids last night, you know, the kids and, and it starts, it's hard, you know, it's hard when you see people, a little bit of anger comes, you know, from that, you know. Against him? Even? Yeah. yeah. You know, there's a lot of anger comes because we're like, dude, the fuck, man, you know, but, you know, I know it was an accidental situation but at the same time you know it's 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 tough because we all miss him so much and it's only anger because we miss him not because we're like saying we're better than you or anything it's more just kind of like fuck you know really like like uh dave attell was saying last night it was like we would love i would just love greg to just make fun of trump right now (laughs) i just want greg geraldo to make fun of trump (laughs) i just want him to do a 10 minute bit on trump like what i would do to hear him talk about trump right now would just be hilarious like you know he would nail it he would just be so funny he would take an angle none of us are taking he would totally you know just take it to a hilarious smart but silly place that's one thing i've always said about greg where it was just like he was you know it was intellect but at the same time he kept it fun and silly and like he could you know he could he could entertain both crowds and also too even the stuff that was uh 
you know, the the the, the non-silly stuff. Yeah. He was never highbrow in a sense that it was pretentious or anything like that. No. Not at all. He was a, a guy up on stage. He was, you know, the motorcycle guy up on stage just happened yeah. to be smart. Yeah. Again, he would also, too, you could see him in a lot of stuff that happened. People would up. Sometimes other comedians would bring yeah. up, oh, the Harvard Law grad. He would just pass it by and never talk about it kind of thing. Or the Latino bit. Yeah. He would just pass it by and just move on kind of thing. Yeah. That's not what he was anchored in. He was anchored yeah. in being funny, right? And it would seep out, like, how smart he was. And but it was brilliant, yeah. like um, like you guys talk about it in the book, the uh, the Civil War letters. Yeah, exactly. Like, like <laughs> <laughs> one of his best bits, hands yeah, down, true. and one of the early bits, and the bit that kind of like made everybody go, "Oh shit, this guy's good." And so, but when he starts to go into like the eloquence of the letters, and like that's when you know somebody's smart, the way they're talking and the words he's using and stuff, and. So it's like, you know, and but this but then, then he goes into the character stuff. Hey, this guy been your day and it's like then that's you know, that's the sillier part and it's hilarious and it's just a perfect combination, you yeah. know, of just like, you know, just putting everything into a bit. It's so fantastic. But the other thing just to take from that, yeah. I, I I totally agree with what you said, but what are how Name some other comedians out there who are currently reading a book about Civil War letters. Exactly. <laughs> that's yeah. That's not something we're uh, we're all tapping into. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing too. Is like you know he yeah. It's like he was you know doing different things that a lot of us you know I think I feel a lot of comedians they go down a similar path you know of like material and like weed and relationships and you know da 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 and so yeah it's like and that's what makes somebody like him you know really stand out. And, uh, you know, really miss him and, you know, but I'm really, really excited that, you know, you guys, you know, wrote the book because I feel it opens up maybe a new audience for Greg and, so. you know, and kind of makes people kind of, you know, seek him out and see how great a comedian that he was because, you know, that's the thing is, it's like, you know, it, it's hard, to, it's hard to keep up with art, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, I was at the Salvador Dali Museum in St. Petersburg, and I was looking around, and it's just like, there's so many young people probably don't even know how amazing all this is. Like, there's so many great artists that just get looked over because, you know, because we focus in on maybe somebody that was more famous and this and that, and you miss a lot of great artists. And so, you know, people like yourself and Matt, you know, doing, you know, writing a book like this helps kind of, you know, keep keep artists alive and help, you know, people kind of like seek out artists that are amazing that they may not have ever, you know, realized that were out there. And we think also just from what you're saying earlier, you know, yeah, comedy is an art, but a lot of people don't think of it that way, right? Mm -hmm. So that's another thing just to help convince people, of course this is worth yeah. worthy of being written about. This yeah. is this is an art. We're the modern day philosophers, you know? Yeah. It's <laughs> people don't realize that. You know. The but thing I found when yeah. we, we were interviewing a lot of comedians is that the other thing I really noticed, comedians always tell the truth. There's no no there's nothing about uh, trying to protect themselves yeah. or whatever. Sure. They were always telling the truth as they saw it kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, is, is great during the interviews. You know that people weren't bullshitting you. Sure. They were saying it right out. They would say stuff about Greg. They'd say, you know, I was worried about this. Or they'd say good stuff too. Yeah. But you never felt manipulated. You know, that's great. Yeah, no, it's like comedians are truth tellers. I mean, until, you know, Trump bans, you know, comedians. <laughs> I mean, we have to we have to get out there. <laughs> Until oh, <laughs> he censors us <laughs> from like talking about stuff, but no, it's I really appreciate you, and I'm you know very excited to you know 
to to get to know you a little bit in this interview and it was fun and you know what you guys you know having just the show last night was great and you know a big tribute to greg and his family and everything and hey, this book is really and it's really important so i'm really I'm grateful that you wrote it and that you guys are you know getting greg's name out there because he's he's a big part of my life and um he had big impact on my life huge impact and awesome. so it's really great that uh you know this book is so um Plug the book a little bit. Where can we find it? How can we get it? How, do, how can we buy the book? Yeah, no, uh, it's uh, you, you won't find it in, in many bookstores, but it's definitely fully available on, on Amazon in Canada, the U.S., across the world, actually. So go to Amazon.com. Uh, it's called Greg Giraldo, A Comedian's Story. Uh, and uh, you can get it there. Yeah, it's in paperback. It's in okay. Kindle form. And Matt is we're currently working on an audio version as well. Oh, that'll be great. Yeah. Any uh, social media plugs, and we can find. Yep. Uh, just go to the the uh, the Twitter handle is at Greg Geraldo Book, and you can find it there, or go to GregGeraldo.com. Great. GregGeraldoBook.com. Thank you, Wayne. Uh, Wayne Jones, everybody. And, uh, yeah, check out this book. It's a great book. Um, very excited to finish it so I can get to the pictures. Because <laughs> <laughs> I love glossy pictures. Uh, thank you so much for being in the studio. It was a Thanks, lot of man. fun today. Um, thank you for uh, listening. Uh, please go to our Patreon page and support us. And um, once again, if you're interested in stand-up comedy, I do comedy coaching. You can go to Facebook, uh, my co Outlaw Comedy Coaching, and check that out. Uh, thank you for listening, everybody. I'll leave you with this. Bye-bye.